1: John Cohen and Al Warren on the 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Dollar Store Dave. <laughs> It's, it's, it's back the to Dollar Store Dave. Dollar Store Dave. Yeah, well, because we're approaching the weekend.
2: Yeah. you know. Well, there won't be more DVDs and Blu-rays at the Dollar Store for like three months. How come? They only get them like every three
1: months. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> off the back of a truck or something. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. <laughs> so they do it some illegal way probably, yeah. you know. So, <laughs> you know so. Anyway. So, okay, listen. Did you get your Stevie Nicks Barbie doll? I did not. You didn't? No, I thought you'd be waiting. Should. What were you doing? <laughs> Just uh, yeah,
2: I need the Stevie Nicks Barbie doll.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah. kind of see you and the doll or in the cat kind of doing that sort of, you know, stand uh, yeah, stand night with it. Yeah, <laughs> and Cardi B yeah. still has ghost issues. So, uh, or do I have to send you over there to help her with yes. the ghosts? Yeah, you know, I can do you, that. You can get rid of the ghosts, and I can get rid of all the ghosts. Yeah, you can tell her. Everyone's yeah. got to clear the house. Leave. That's right. And then you can eat everything in her fridge. Does mm. <laughs> <laughs> she all have ice cream? You, uh, you know it. Come on. I'm yeah, just talking girls. about ice cream. And lots. She has lots of ice cream and fr- fine whiskey. You know, Ooh. You'd, yeah, you'll be all set. Be I'm all set. set. Yeah, It's <laughs> going to take a few weeks. Yeah,
2: it's going <laughs> to be a couple of months to clear the house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you tell her that. Just think about yeah. it. Yeah. You have a good old time. Now, what have we got up today? Now we've got an author. And, well, he's a lot of things. So uh, his book, Light Come Out of the Closet, Memoir of a Gay Soul. So Dr. Roger Leslie, thanks for being here.
0: Hi, Alan, I'm glad to be here.
1: So where did it all start for you? <laughs> Sit down. Let's talk. <laughs> um, this, this is a very personal book for you, obviously, and you expose a lot about yourself and growing up and things, I'll just say it at the moment. What, what, what possessed you, good word, to do that?
0: Great question. So for most of my adult life, this stage of my life that I write about in this book was very painful. And so I tended not to think about it much. And I reached a point where I wanted to discern, was there something in that stage of my life that somehow helped me build a foundation to become who I was? So rather than just remembering this as a sad, difficult stage in my life, I wanted to see, was there something in the religion of my youth and the messages that I got in childhood and during my teen years that actually help build my character to give me the strength to break past them and find my own unique path in life and then find a way to encourage other people to find theirs as well. So I went in this into the, writing the first draft not so much to figure out what message I could share, but more what foundational blessings were there in that painful stage of my life that would enable me to take off from where I was and grow to what I became.
1: Well, before we get into any of the details, you know, so when you're sitting there and you have the initial idea of what you're going you're going to write and you and you start and you put it down in on paper the first time, now that it's published and out there, did it turn out how you saw it when you started it?
0: When I teach writing classes and when I teach The concept of exploring that first draft, I tell aspiring writers and seasoned writers, in that first draft, you need to bare your soul. The truth of what is in there for you as the author and for the readers is in those scenes where you think it's too painful, it's too close, it's too personal to share. And then I tell them, you know, that first draft is just for you. After you finish your first draft, set it aside for a while, and then reread it. And if anything in there it just hits too close to home for you to want to share with an audience, even your editor, I say, take it out, and then give the manuscript to your editor. And if they say, well, you know, it just doesn't feel powerful enough, you know you probably needed those scenes in there. So I went into this process deciding I was just going to bare my soul. And when it came to publishing the book, I ended up leaving everything in. I just thought, this is my journey. This is what I learned. And it's usually from the painful experiences and the mistakes that we make that we that I think we learn the most. So I just dove right in and left it all in up through the final draft.
1: It's a pretty judgmental world today, like um, especially, well, I think it's more so um, direct because we have social media and there's so many ways people can – can get a hold of you so to speak and, and write reviews and write things and say things and stuff with online presence. Um, so does that sort of make you feel a little vulnerable in a sense that you kind of hear you lay out some of who you are and some of your truth and secrets and feelings and, with today's world, you can get slaughtered if the right people come along and say the things. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Does that kind of put you on kind of a... Did it it scare you
0: when you were doing it or put you kind of on edge? No, because I believe that in order for this world to keep functioning, there have to be more good-hearted people than there are mean people. And so I held on to the idea that this book was meant for specific people and once the book was out, those people who needed the message, who needed the confirmation that who they were was exactly who they were meant to be would find it. And the people who encouraged those people would find it as well. I knew there would be detractors. That's just the way it goes. You know, it's always been the case that happens often. Like when I'm given a, uh, an opportunity to speak at certain schools, you know, there'll, you know, I'll be signed up and then some parent will say, Oh, this guy's gay. And then they, take me off the list. That's happened my whole career, so it doesn't surprise me. But I realize that I have something to share that can be helpful and nurturing in my writing and in my speaking. And I like to hold on to the idea that the people who need it will find it when, it, when they come across it.
2: Were you surprised by what you found, uh, by what you remembered going, going through this process of writing the book?
0: I was surprised that some people... ...that I thought were minor characters in my social and emotional development growing up actually played a more significant part. Uh, there's one scene, one of the most famous scenes in the, in the book is where my aunt, who uh, had gone through a traumatic experience... ...and converted to another religion and became very, very enthusiastic and uh, demonstrative in her faith took me to, took my sister and me to her church to try to get us saved, that is an indelible memory that turned out to be one of the most powerful chapters in the book. But when I wrote the book, I had to preface that scene with other experiences I had with my Aunt Diane, and I didn't realize how much I loved her and how much I think she loved me until I wrote the whole story arc of who she was to me In those years of my life. So yeah, those were some of the surprises I had. Some minor players ended up being much more significant than I thought.
1: So how do you think this whole process of writing this particular book from beginning to end and now that it's out and published, how do you think that's changed you as a person?
0: I've written in so many genres. You know, I just I love to write and any opportunity that I have to write something new, I will. So I've written in self-help and spirituality, I've written library science textbooks and teaching books and movie reference books and history and fiction. So one thing that's changed is with this memoir, it really has solidified a persona of me as a gay person, not necessarily as a gay writer, because I'm known for many genres, but the focus on my being a gay man and author has really shifted, I think, the public persona of Roger Leslie.
1: Are you happy with it?
0: I'm grateful for any, anything that I feel spirit is leading me to do. It gives me the courage to move forward. So I felt spiritually led to write this book. If I'm helping gay people, or people who don't understand what it is to be gay, to understand a little more and to find a place to be loving rather than judgmental. I'm very proud to be an advocate for that idea.
1: So what was, what was probably the, to you, the most um, important memory that you shared with people in this book?
0: The scene with Aunt Diane and her church where they, were, they had the laying of hands on me and just what a traumatic, tra- traumatic experience that was for me uh, as I was probably, I don't know, 12 at the time. That would definitely be one of them. Um, but tracing my understanding of the messages that I was getting from my family, from my society, and from my religion, putting it all together in one book and seeing it cumulatively helped me understand why it was such a devastating, had such a devastating impact on me.
1: So, so, so what's your hope that people um, get from this book when they read it, someone sits down and reads it at the end of it? What is it you want them to take away?
0: My mission in life is to inspire people to live the life they dream and to empower them to follow their own unique spiritual path so whether they see this in the context of a story of coming out and being gay and coming to terms with who a person is through his sexuality or whether they see the more general theme of self-acceptance that's what i want i want people to live the life they dream and i want them to have the courage to follow their own unique spiritual path do you think
1: it's it's is it easy to self accept yourself as a gay man, in a religion?
0: I think it can be. Uh, I I feel that, for me, spirituality is paramount, and religion, if it facilitates that spiritual journey, great. If it doesn't, that's equally great. You know, I'm, someone can tell me that they are a particular religion, or they can tell me they're atheist or agnostic or whatever they say. To me, it's all a dimension of an interpersonal journey that I think of as spiritual. So yes, in, in the context of anyone's religion, if they find support for who they are and they connect with their religion, then absolutely I think it can. You know, years ago I watched a, a, a segment, it was like on 20, 20 or 60 Minutes, and there were some women in the Catholic Church who loved the Catholic Church and they were staying in their religion to make changes, especially for women and their roles in the church. And it really gave me a new perspective because by the time I was 16 or 17, I felt so unaccepted and so unworthy in my religion that it was easy for me to say, well, that's just not the path for me. I'm going to find something else. I was really intrigued and inspired by these women who said, no, this is the religion of my youth. There's a lot that I want to change in it, but I want to stay part of it, and I will try to make the changes from within. I hadn't even considered that for myself because the answer for me on my journey was so clear that I needed to move on to something else, that to see them stay with what they started with, and make changes from within, I thought was very empowering.
1: What do, What do you think about uh, current temperatures, you know, out there with things like uh, uh, book banning and stuff like that, gay content and things, and kind of um, kind of sheltering general population from stuff like that?
0: My philosophy on life is that life is a prism, P R I S M. And that we're all looking at the same thing from a different facet of the prism. I think people who are looking to ban things and try to uh, narrow our understanding of things are just looking at life from a different facet of the prism than others. And I think sharing my facet of the prism, I hope, will help people become more open-minded and realize that there's room for everyone in this world and that everyone's journey is important.
1: Yeah, do you have, what, who are your inspirations? Who do you draw from?
0: As far as my writing, or for my spiritual quests, or what?
1: Well, I, I in general, it's usually tied together. So, um, but for 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 your writing, let's say.
0: Well, the writers that I love. The classic writers that I loved when I was very young would be people like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Carson McCullers. Um, you know, I loved American literature from the time I was very young. So the beauty of their writing and the depth of their themes just resonated with me. I remember there were certain books that I read when I was young, and I sensed that I didn't have a clue how deep they were going because of my lack of personal experience at the time. But there was something in the writing that just... Resonated so poetically that I want to go back to their books again and again to see what I learn at different stages in my life. Because as I used to teach when I was in the classroom, you know, I would draw a picture of a, a human figure on the board and then I would draw a picture of a book and I would ask students, Where is literature? And they'd all start by saying, It's in the book. And then we'd talk a little while and they'd say, Oh, no, it's in the mind of the, the, the Figure the person. And ultimately, they would conclude, oh, it's somewhere in between. Because when we read, we are bringing our life experience, our understanding of the world into what that book is saying. And so it's a relationship. When we read, we're having a relationship with that author and with that text to determine what it is we're learning. And as we grow as people, the text and the author's message changes as well. And so Anyone who's just a beautiful writer who has something positive to say about humanity and the world really inspires me and makes me want to be a better writer.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly. It's interesting. So where where do you see yourself going now? This book is out, and you're out talking about it and, and promoting it and that. What do you see yourself doing next?
0: So I have a book tour coming up this summer for this book but in the meantime i will have four other books out before i take that book tour in the summer i'm always writing multiple books at the same time and so especially during the pandemic when men of, many of my editing clients and my coaching clients stopped you know stopped any work because people were panicking and didn't know what was going to happen to the world and you know they just stopped spending money you know i saw that as an opportunity i mean suddenly my afternoons when i usually spent that time editing someone's manuscript or coaching them through the process it was free and so i thought wow what an opportunity this is so i just wrote and wrote and wrote and now i have at least ten books at different stages ready to move forward and four of those books are nearly ready for production and so my marketing expert and i have already scheduled when those books will come out and what we need to do to get them ready So in the immediate future I'll be focusing on three inspirational books, one YA novel, and then the book tour for Light Come Out of the Closet in June.
1: What's your writing process like? Are you, are you, um, you can just turn it on, sit down and start writing and do nine to five and, and do it, or do you have to be in a certain frame of mind?
0: Uh, it is a, it is a discipline. Writing is like anything is a discipline. And if you do it regularly, I, I tell my writing clients, you know, it's like physical exercise. When you first start, you have to motivate yourself and it's painful. You know, your muscles hurt because you're not using them very often. But if you do it consistently, then not only are you prepared for it that day but your creative muscles like your physical muscles expect to be used so they start ramping up for it you know if you work out monday wednesdays and fridays after a few weeks i can guarantee you sunday night your muscles are getting primed for okay he's going to start working out on monday i better you know i better get ready for this the creative muscles do the same thing i have more dreams from my characters on You know, like on Sunday nights when they know, okay, he's going to launch into something big on Monday morning. So it's just the regular discipline. And I and I often share the idea for people who are interested in writing, set a weekly goal, either a certain number of words or a certain amount of time that's realistic for your schedule, and commit to that. And if you do it regularly, it will become so second nature that you will miss it when you don't, and it'll get to the point where you must do it in order to feel fulfilled.
1: When you write your characters, um, where do they come from for you? Like how do you, what kind of relationship do you have with your characters? That's a good way to say it.
0: That's a beautiful way to say it. And one of mo- one of the most startling experiences I ever had, this was decades ago when I was writing one of, one of my early novels, uh, which this one never got published, by the way. But I was working on a book, and one night in a dream, my characters all came to me, And we sat around like an actor's workshop and just talked about character motivation and who they were and what they were doing and why they wanted to do it. And I just felt like like I was in the actor's studio and Lee Strasberg was giving me instructions like, well, this is how you do it if you really want to get to the marrow of who you are and what this book is about. And so since then, I've just trusted my characters to lead the way. You know, I'll just dive into writing a book and... I'll have, I'll usually when I start a book, especially a novel, I'll have an end in mind and I'll have a central character in mind. But then I just dive in. I don't outline. I don't plan. I don't think, oh, this has to happen this way. I just say, you know, I go to the, to the computer every morning, just as I would go to a book that I hadn't read before, having no idea what that chapter holds. And I just sit down. And if I can clear the clutter out of my conscious mind then the unconscious, which is where I think all the creative resources are, will just come forward and the ideas just start generating and they go and they go and they go. Now, ultimately, what I find is when I finish my first draft, it's usually twice as long as the final draft needs to be. So my job in the revision stages is to cull out everything that doesn't fit into a streamlined plot and doesn't fit the exact theme and just pare it down and pare it down and tighten the language and make it more fluid and make it more poetic. Um, but part of the fun of the process is just starting that first draft not knowing where it's going to take me.
2: Well, do your characters ever surprise you while you're writing um, a novel or any type of fiction piece? Do they, do they pull the, um, the plot off the rails <laughs> and make it hard for you to get back? Or do you find that you're, you're more in control of, uh, of what the characters are doing?
0: Thanks, Dave. I'm glad you asked. Uh, Absolutely not. My characters are in complete control. I remember when I was writing my novel Drowning in Secret, I had a specific minor character in mind who was supposed to be a foil to one of the main characters. I just wanted to introduce him to make clear what the strengths and weaknesses of this one main character were. And then I didn't need him anymore, so I was planning to get rid of him. He just kept coming back in that first draft. I'd be writing, and then he'd be back in another scene. And I was just thinking, I don't need you. Go away. It got to the point where, because the book was drowning in secret, I thought, okay, I'm going to show this guy. I literally tried to drown him in the novel. In the middle of the novel, there's this drowning scene. And I thought, okay. I went to bed that night thinking, okay, he's done. I got rid of him. He's dead. Lo and behold, if the next time I didn't go to 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 the computer to write, the first scene... He's getting revived at the at the side of the pool. And I was just thinking, what in the world is this guy doing? I didn't understand at all. This was years ago, so I didn't really understand the creative process as well. Well, it turns out at the end of the novel, there's a minor character who reveals the theme of the whole book, and it was that character. And once I wrote it, it made perfect sense. The four main characters in the the novel are drowning in their own secrets they can't see clearly what the reader is starting to see but another minor character can and he was the one who did it i had no idea why he kept showing up in the novel until i got to the end and he expressed the theme of the whole of the whole plot
1: so do they let you drive when you have all these voices running through your mind telling you what to do
0: No, I'm a passenger. I let them drive. (laughs) Uh, They take me where they're going to go. And then, of course, it's my job. Once I I finish that first draft, then I see, oh, this is the route I'm taking because this is the destination where I want to get. Then it's my job to revise the book in such a way that it brings the results I want. In my estimation, that first draft is a very right brain, creative, free flowing, wherever it goes, it's just going to go. Then in the revision stages I switch to a more left brain concrete sequential I've got to organize all this so it all makes sense to a reader and it's actually going in one direction building momentum heading to a big climactic scene with a great payoff at the end
1: Well it's it's it's, it's quite a, Have you ever written or started writing a a book and had an idea and decided not to publish it because of it didn't go the right way?
0: Yes. yeah. Actually, I have a whole file cabinet full of manuscripts that I've completed and then were not published. Some I thought were, were good enough for publication, and I sent them out, and they just never got accepted early in my career. But others, there are some that I have that I revisit every few years thinking, well, maybe it just wasn't the right time for this book, and I'll look at it again and reconsider it and... There are some that, yes, they're just, I I wrote it, and it's just, I think maybe some of those books I just needed for my own personal growth, but I just don't have the vision for how they could help a reader.
1: So that's kind of a a subject for you, if you want to make sure the reader, there's something in it for the reader, otherwise you don't really follow through or put it out.
0: Yes, yes. When I teach writing, the two most important elements that a writer has to have in mind is what is my purpose? and who is my reader. If you get really clear on the exact purpose you have for a book and the precise reader, then the writing gets so much easier because I tell them, you know, imagine yourself sitting across from that ideal reader and you're just sitting having a conversation and you're going to tell them a story. If you have a very precise reader in mind, not even a whole demographic, just an individual who represents your target audience, imagine yourself sitting down and telling them your story. You know, if there's someone who know you well, then, of course, there are certain details you don't have to share. But if you're if the person who is your ideal reader is, you know, a a stranger with no background on your subject area, then, of course, you know, you're going to have to share certain information that wouldn't be obvious to them. If you're writing a business book to colleagues, they're going to know the lexicon of that business. You don't have to explain it. If you're writing that same book to people going into the industry, then there's certain terminology you're going to have to explain because it isn't second nature until you get into some professions what the language of that profession is.
1: So when you start a book, do you always start with a character or characters and then put them in a scenario or do you have the kind of the story idea and then you lo- find or create the characters?
0: I start with character because I think that the heart of every work of fiction is character. So I start with a person who needs something or wants something. You know, I, I always recommend, you know, there's a, there's a common adage among writers, you know, to write what you know. My feeling is if you write what you know, the writing comes across as a bit didactic and it isn't that fun to write because you already know it. So I recommend to writers, write what you want to know. If there's something you're struggling with morally, ethically, personally, and you don't have an answer yet, write about that. and You'll find out what that is through the journey that you take. Because readers don't want the lesson. They want to follow the journey. If they can follow a writer's journey, they'll glean the lesson for themselves. And every lesson might be different for every different reader.
1: But do you use people you know in your books? As characters or, or inspired by people you know?
0: Yes. Yes. Of course. You know, one of the challenges with, with this memoir that I just came out with is that all these people are actual characters from my life. And, you know, I have a rule that I only say positive and encouraging things. So if, and of course, if you only have kind, nice, positive, encouraging characters, you don't have any conflict. So you don't really have a book. So I had to find a way to incorporate some of the difficult characters in my book and make them fully fleshed out enough so that I hope they come out as multidimensional people, not as stereotypic or narrow antagonists. So yes, I, I draw directly from people, you know, and very often with a character, it's usually a composite of several people. Like it might be the personality of someone I knew in high school, but then she'll look like one of my aunts that I grew up around. And she might have some quirky idiosyncrasy that I knew from, you know, some other relative I had. So a character becomes a composite of real traits of people I know. That's what people relate to. They want to see characters who seem real, not someone, unless you're writing fantasy, uh, you know, they, they want to see people who feel authentic and have a combination of traits that make them unique. And so that's how I do it. I just combine what I know from several different people and that composite becomes the character.
1: Any names you want to give us?
0: Phone <laughs> numbers, you know, we can get them on here and talk about it, you know. Well, you know, one thing that, I, that is interesting uh, that I learned from writing this book is some of the people that I wrote about in Light Come Out of the Closet have reached out to me after they've read the book. And I think it's fascinating because they remember the same instances, but slightly differently. Like my friend Bev Jones, I talk about. I, I I took her to my senior prom, and she worked at the ice cream parlor next to the grocery store where I worked. And I talk about this scene where you know they were just fun-loving and much more. Uh, they were they were much more fluid in their personalities than I was at that time. I was very introverted and afraid afraid of world fight figuring me out. And so I remembered that they did something out of the ordinary with one of the employees. And when Bev called me, she said, well, you know, I don't remember him doing that. We did it with this other person, but not that guy. And so it's like, wow, memory's interesting. I thought I was so clear on who did it, but it was, it was the right story. But from my perspective, I may have not had the detail exactly right, but what can you do? That was the memory I had from 40 years ago.
1: Yeah. Strange how we remember things. So, um, Do you have any difficulty writing the evil characters or bad people in your book?
0: The challenge was to be diplomatic and figure out what did I learn from them? How did they benefit my life? Especially because as a kid, if I was hurt by somebody, I've carried that hurt all these years. And I had to think, okay, I've got to move beyond that and figure out if I'm going to share a detail about this particular person, I need to share it in such a way that I show the value they brought to my life, not just the pain. And sometimes the value is the pain, you know, because they hurt me or because I was hurt by some things they said or did, it forced me to face something or grow in a way that I might not otherwise have. But yes, that's difficult to revisit the people that for many years have, you know, I've kind of pushed to the back of my mind because my association with them was negative or painful.
1: And how do you write your locations? Are your locations like a character as well? Do you treat them that way?
0: Yes, uh, because it sets the tone for the story, especially in a novel. Uh, The setting is so important because, you know, setting is not just place and time, but it is also the atmosphere of what's going on at the time. You know, you look at what's happened, like, in the world just within the last week. You know, the atmosphere of what's happening in Israel and around the world has shifted now because of what's going on. So, you know, you could write about Israel a year ago and that has a specific atmosphere. Today it has a different atmosphere. So yes, setting is a character in and of itself and plays predominantly on how other characters will act and behave and sometimes react to situations because of the tenor of what's going on in that particular place and time.
2: You think, you know, going, going back to you talking about pain, do you think this book helped you move beyond the pain, right, writing this book, uh, the pain of your youth? Do you think that it, it uh, helped you um, even move beyond it?
0: Absolutely. And I think it, that's that could be true for anybody who writes something, not just writes books for publication, but even if people who journal, you know, if you write down your feelings and you put them out there, then they're not just in your brain incubating and growing and moving around, they suddenly get freed and there's an objectification in doing that where now I can look back at some of these instances and feel like a third party observing it rather than the person who lived it and felt the reactions of it. So yeah, there's something wonderfully cathartic about just putting it on paper, seeing it having that distance created from you and the energy of what happened and being able to look at it from a, from a slight distance. It's very helpful and, I think, very healing.
1: So how do you write your dialogue? How do you put that together? What's your process there?
0: I try to make it as fluid as possible. And usually I just write the dialogue straight out like a script And then when I go to the revision process, that's where I add in to make clear, oh, they wouldn't be able to tell who's saying what. And the way I can tell that is like, I'll go back to rereading it. And even though I wrote it, it's like, wait a minute, who's saying what here? What? which of these characters is saying this? That's when I have to clarify, oh, she's saying this to him. And then this is his reaction. So with dialogue, I like to write it like a play where it's just they're you know, just speaking the parts. And then I go back afterwards and fill in those details to make clear who's saying what
1: yeah do you do you actually um say it out loud or do you run through the dialogue itself and and um do you hear it do you hear it like you're watching a movie do you kind of run it that way to make sure it sounds authentic
0: only in the revision stages i realized early on that i'm a visual learner not an auditory learner and if i say something out loud it loses its energy years ago In a very loving gesture, my dad bought me this little handheld tape recorder because he noticed, like, I always keep some index cards and a pen in my car when I drive. So if I get an inspiration, I'll just jot it down. And so he bought me this little handheld microphone so I could just speak the idea and not have to, you know, interrupt what I'm doing and you know trying to, you know, stop at a stop line or something to to write it down. And I found that when I tried that, it diffused the idea. Speaking it aloud did something to it, transformed it, and it just sort of filtered away. And so for me personally, and that's just, this is just my process. I can't do that until the revision process. In the revision stages, yes, I read the text out loud, including the dialogue, just to hear, is there a rhythm to it? Does it feel the flow? Can the reader find the rhythm in the way I've written it? Because sometimes the rhythm is in my head because it's the way I talk and think. But when I read it out loud, I can tell, oh, if a person has never seen this before, it might not have the right rhythm, and I need to fix it. How
1: do you you like the publishing world now? you know, the Amazon and the self-publishing and the the whole, the whole system, the way it's going now?
0: It's hard to give a specific assessment of the whole industry, but for me personally, I love that when I first started in the publishing world, the only way to get credibility was to be published through a major publishing house. It took me many years, but I did. And then I got some works published through small presses and medium presses, and ultimately I decided to open my own publishing house, and so I published some of my own books and books by other authors as well. The diversification of that is very encouraging. The caution I give people is because everything is so open now, there are a lot of less than stellar quality books going to print. You know, the the quality control has suffered for a while. Because anybody can write anything and, you know, put a cover on it and put it out there and say it's a book. And so readers have to be more discerning on who they can trust as an excellent writer and who, who is not. Um, but, you know, for those people who just want to write a book that their grandkids will read, more power to them. But if we're looking for really stellar quality work, we've got to, you know, really have quality control. And that's what's nice about, uh, IBP. The Independent Book Publishers Association, IBPA, they have put together the standards for independent publishers and for uh, small presses and medium presses so that they have the same criteria of excellence that the big publishing houses aspire to. And And if you follow those guidelines, then the books that come out should match that quality that we're seeking.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what what kind of advice do you have someone that uh, wants to do a book or write a, a memoir or something like that and get it published
0: for the writing or for the publishing
1: For the writing for the writer what should what should that person do
0: The the most obvious the most obvious response to that is the the standard adage writers write if you're going to get it done you have to take inspiration to action and just start writing and then just continue the process until you get through it The most important thing, however, is to never edit until you get that first draft written. One part of your brain writes the first draft. Another part of your brain does the revision. Editing as you write is like having your second grade teacher stand over your shoulder as you're trying to learn to print for the first time. It's so daunting and so overwhelming that most of the people who start a book and don't finish, it's because they're editing while they're writing. And the truth is you don't know what to edit until you get to the end of the book. Because whether it's fiction or nonfiction, everything in the book needs to be heading to a specific climactic scene. It's a climactic scene in fiction or it's your big major point or theme in nonfiction. And until you get there in your first draft, you really don't know what needs to be revised because everything leading to that point has to be a direct course that builds momentum, builds credibility, and strengthens the writing as you go along. So my advice would be, if you want to start a book, write the first draft, begin it, and don't do any revising or editing until you get to the end of that first draft, and then go back and start revising and
1: editing. Okay, so, Roger, where, where do you like people to interact with you, readers, fans? Um, do you have social media? Do you have a website? Uh, talk about where they locate you.
0: So, I do have a website. It is simply rogerlesley.com. Uh, I'm easy to find. If you just type in my name, Roger Leslie, online, all sorts of resources will show up because I, I do interviews like this all the time. Um, but through my website, and if they uh, sign up for my email, I give an inspirational email once a month that I get great responses from. That's a great place. Uh, I'm on most of the major social media outlets um, and I'm fairly active on it. I don't spend a lot of time on that because that's not where my focus is. My desire is to be as prolific an author writing books as I can. So a great place to start would be just to go to rogerlesley.com sign up for my my email, my monthly email.
1: Oh, fantastic. Of course, we're going to have that up on our website as well so people can find you with one click. Well, we really appreciate you being here. The book, Light, Come Out of the Closet, Memoir of a Gay Soul. And we've got Dr. Roger Leslie. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much, Al. Thank you, Dave. This has been a pleasure. Thanks, Roger.
2: You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me?
1: Yeah. Good night. This is the a production of some period media.
2: I'll be back.